Welcome. Hello. Uh, welcome to Hospitality News and Views. I'm Raj Rundawa. And I'm Richard Majewski. Great. H how you been doing, Richard? Um, thanks for asking, Raj. I'm, uh, I'm not doing too badly, I suppose. The sun's shining outside. England in the semi-finals and uh, looks like we're coming out of lockdown. So, um, yeah, good news Lot, and bad yeah, news. Yeah. yeah, lots of positives, I must admit. Um, it's been very hard to think about anything other than football the last week. Uh, yeah, it has. And if you get too positive about it, you feel you're jinxing it. So, I know, uh, exactly. Negative. <laughs> exactly. Kind of frightened of even changing your clothes unless you think they're lucky. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My lucky underwear. Yeah, we won't go into that one. I mean, the matches have been amazing. It's really weird. I'll tell you the strangest thing that I found, you know, when England drew their first match, I say they won the first match, drew against Scotland. And when they played Czechoslovakia, there was a lot of, there were a lot of people saying, you know what, it's best to lose to them and come second in the, in the actual table, because that's an easier way forward. And uh, I was even thinking like that myself. And to be honest, I'm so glad we didn't do that. I'm so glad, because otherwise you wouldn't have seen the Germany match. Well, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Ukraine in the end <clears throat> was quite straightforward, although I, I was a bit mm -hmm. fearful of their, their seemingly traditional speed in attack. Um, and um, I, yeah, if if I say that if if I say that Denmark might be easy, then um, the memory of Iceland yes. is still there. So I don't I don't say anything. I think it's going to be a tough be... game. Personally, I think it's going to be a very tough game. I don't think it's going to be yeah, easy. And the Italians who have been remarkable for the first time, you're actually looking at them and thinking, wow, what great football. Exactly. Rather than the frustration of constantly defending and, and holding the game up, they, uh, yeah, they look like a pretty potent attacking side right, right now. And it's In fact, there's one story yeah. I heard that I thought is great. It's a great story for Euros in terms of a manager. And it was Mancini. Obviously, loved by some because he saw Manchester City get the first premiership, you know, the first league title for so many years. But I think a sign of how good a person he is, because it was mentioned in one of the, uh, when they were reviewing the teams, they spoke uh, about his time at Man City and they spoke to a priest and he, he used to go to the local church there with his family and with some of the players from Man City. And the priest said that the guy is a really good guy, just a good human being. And we all like to think of that of everybody. However, he did something that I thought was fantastic during the Euros. And that is that on one of the games, right at the end, there's one minute left. He put the reserve goalkeeper on. There's no need to do it. He put the reserve keeper on just for one minute. And the guy's in his late 30s or something. So he's not expected to play at all in the Euros. And he put him on because when Man Man Mancini was a player, he went to the World Cup and he never got to play. Oh, and he wanted to make sure, okay. and that feeling of arriving at the pinnacle and never getting a chance to play, he wanted to make sure mm. that the players, where they had very little mm. chance to play, had that opportunity. Even if just for one minute, they could say, I did play for one minute. I mean, absolutely. I mean, as a City fan, you know, Mancini can do no wrong for me. But um, uh, 
apart from that, yeah, after um, the game against, and I've forgotten who it was now, but they all got together and he seemed to be a real kind of, uh, you know, he, he was very close to the, 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 the squad when they yeah. huddled after the match. And what, yeah, what you just said, it reminded me of, um, I think, and I think it was Ukraine right at the end of the game. Um, and um, they were about to put on two substitutes and I th- for that very reason, I think, that you've just explained. And I th- I'm sure the referee blew early because the poor people didn't come on. They were waiting to come on. But they, 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 they also the Ukraine um, teammates could have kind of like kicked the ball out and let, but they didn't. They were they kept going. So, um, ah. but yeah, that's I a really it was a nice lovely story, story because it, it shows a level yeah. of, you know, it's not just humanity. It shows a level of understanding what players have been through to get there. Yeah, that's a good. Uh, yeah, that's good. And uh, yeah, and uh, you know, on a kind of a different note, I'm hoping that that's how we will all come out of COVID is with that understanding and you talk about humanity, but yeah, that kind of, you know, feeling of compassion sometimes for others and and what have you, we just need a little bit more. And I hope that, I hope that, um, that we're not disappointed Mm, and that we don't just all revert to type or even worse, just to make up for lost time. (laughs) No, that's true. That's true. (laughs) In fact, obviously um, the, yeah, we'll just continue about you know, what's in the news, etc. Obviously, big news now is that July the 19th is now effectively confirmed. And it's really strange how different media sources are reporting this. And not just in the UK, but outside the UK. I don't know if you know, but in Singapore, they've actually stopped counting how many COVID cases they have now. I didn't know that. Uh, when COVID struck there, it was a that's a big deal everywhere. But when you're in such a closed environment, it becomes, you know, you, you, you start worrying about it to the nth degree more than you would otherwise. And so on the one hand, you've got Singapore coming out of COVID and part of their process is to stop even, I would, I would say stop thinking about it, but not counting the cases kind of implies they're really trying to get back to normality in a way that is quick and is not going to have people constantly thinking about coronavirus. Yeah, that's a difficult one, isn't it? It's- and then you've got the other side of things where Australia is now going, in, has gone into lockdown. Uh, I think it's about 11 million people are under lockdown because of just you know, a handful of cases that suddenly ballooned into a number, into more than a handful of cases. Yeah, there's, there's kind of getting back to normal, considering you know normality and there is kind of escapism. I mean, the, the, somebody that's literally I spoke to half an hour ago, uh, a, a sector colleague, not spoken to, to this person for months, possibly even two years. And the reason was they'd had COVID themselves and lost family members. I mean, that's a grim reality. We can stop reporting it, but it ain't going away. You know, if you are constantly worrying about it, it never goes away. It will never go away. Yeah, it is going to become. I think that I mean, Britain's the first. I mean, the United States basically. Um, Joe Biden on Sunday, I think it was Sunday the fourth. Yeah, that was July the fourth, their Independence Day, and he basically came out with a statement saying they've effectively defeated COVID. 
What that means, I don't know. I mean, I'm very pleased to hear that. <laughs> Although, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, nipping back to the to the Mancini story and and reference to me as a Manchester City fan. I mean, I'm I'm I've, I'm used to worrying. So after all of this, what will I worry about? I, I've got to worry about something. So I might as well worry about COVID. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be something. I'm sure there'll be something. But it is strange. It's, I mean, I think that ultimately. I mean, the US went the way it went. I think the UK is now being seen as uh, an experiment in terms of coming out of COVID. And it's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens. Lots of weird stuff has happened. Uh, one of the weirdest things that I came across was, and, and it was a story regarding people who had been vaccinated in the UK, where the vaccine had been actually manufactured in India, were not going to be allowed into Europe. And that Same is with Argentina, bizarre. I think. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. And I'll tell you why it's bizarre. One is they're identical. What's being manufactured in the UK, what is manufactured in India is identical. But what made it doubly bizarre was that it was, um, there was this kind of impression given that somehow maybe because it was made in India, it wasn't, there was something wrong about it. Okay. However, the people who made that, who make the vaccine in the UK is the Serum Institute, and they are the biggest producers of vaccines in the world polio vaccines, yeah. all the vaccines that we normally take for granted, they are number one at producing these vaccines. So you would think of all the people that you would want to have a vaccine made by, it would be those people rather than anybody else, because that is their prime job in life, is just to make vaccines. Whereas when you look at all these other uh, pharmaceutical companies, they're involved in a whole range of other types of medicines, etc. So it is really, really weird. And now, and there's still this thing, of how the hell would anyone know which vaccine they had? When, when you got your vaccine, you didn't ask where it was manufactured. Yeah, I mean, they're talking about mixing um, AstraZeneca and Pfizer here, aren't right, they, as well, yeah. as, as, a, right. as a very effective booster, apparently. Or, you know, a very effective combination and perhaps going forward, <clears throat> excuse me, booster. Um, I, I have heard of, of, and I think it was in South America somewhere anyway, that they were being vaccinated by either you know the Russian or the or the Chinese um, mm. vaccination, and uh, and that affected then whether they could travel. I, I think uh, I've not read this. I was just told. I mean, there's, uh, we're going to be hearing so much about this over the next few weeks. I, mean, I think I, I think the uh, those who are struggling to accept the idea of let's just get back to normality quickly as opposed to a little bit slower. We'll find every excuse under the sun. They'll be looking at everything with a microscope. And whereas before it was just a normal microscope, now it's going to be an electron microscope where they get down to atoms being different. Um, so, for instance, yeah. what, one of the things that I, uh, I thought was quite interesting was um, Israel has, um, has actually, I think it was last week, they issued a, a statement that they think the, um, the efficacy of the Pfizer vaccine is not as long as it should be. So they're now having to look at that because of a Delta strain. So all of these things lead me to kind of be in favor of the idea of getting back to normal. Because guess what? If we don't learn to live with it, we'll never get out. We've got to learn to live with it. And viruses are around us all the time. So there comes a point when you've just got to learn to live with it. Maybe yeah. it's fast. Maybe it's fast. <laughs> what they're trying to do in the next three weeks is fast or two weeks but there comes a point where you've got to live with it. <laughs> you, know, you just have yeah, to. I, I just think more people should have been vaccinated. I, I also wouldn't like to be a teacher if they're saying that somebody in the class who 
um, gets COVID, then the rest of the class don't need to isolate. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, there are some some professions and our own, obviously, um, the hospitality sector is is one of those. But <clears throat> where I think that it could have been done in a, a bit a bit slower. Um, but, you know, every everyone is going to have different views. Aren't I they? know absolutely everyone and especially the people in the business, especially the hospitality. Yeah. I came across something the other day. I'm going to I'm going to give you a little test later on. It was quite <laughs> funny. Um, but I came across something, and it is obviously everyone's doing exams. I'll tell you what it is. Everyone's doing exams, GCSEs, A levels. I didn't know there's a GCSE in hospitality. So really, I didn't know that either. No, I didn't know. <laughs> I just came across it, and I thought, what the hell is this? A GCSE in hospitality. Wow. And it's actually a GCSE in hospitality and catering. Okay. Right. So, so when I came across it, I, I thought, you know, I'll have a look at that. And in fact, what I'm going to do now is ask you a few questions from the paper that I found, which I thought would be quite interesting. So for instance, right. Okay. Can this I pass, a, Can I only pass on paper. any of them? It's only one. It's, a, <laughs> it's only one. And, and it, I think it's quite interesting because it actually gives an idea of what people think hospitality is. And maybe this is where hotels and service department operators and hostels and those accommodation providers need to understand that they need to up their game and uh, in terms of allowing people to understand what they do. So question three on this paper was state the method used for making each of the following white sauce, Victoria sandwich, and shortcut pastry. And I, I need to do the explain the the process or take the method used. <clears throat> um, with with white sauce, I would take. Um, so if it were sweet, I'd take corn flour, maybe sugar, and milk, and uh, and mix that lot up, and then serve it and get really annoyed if they didn't like it. Um, Victoria sandwich. You mean by that you mean a, a Victoria sponge? I think I think it's actually saying state the method. I've got no idea what that actually means because you're giving a recipe, and well, yeah, method is. And and to be honest, I read that question. I thought, has that really got so much to do with hospitality? Um, with with yeah, on the catering side, I guess. Um, yeah. So with with Victoria, and I know how to do a Victoria sponge, and it's something like in terms of ounces, it's like yeah. four, 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 and I think eight or something. I might get it totally wrong. It's something like um, four ounces of marge, four ounces, four eggs, four of sugar, and eight of flour, or something like that. I should have downloaded the. I should have downloaded the actual. Um... The actual answer, shouldn't I? Well, if anybody's listening to this and wants to send me a, a Victoria sponge, I, I, I have no limit to the amount of them that I, that I can eat. So um, please do so. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But what I was highlighting was that it's actually hospitality, the actual, uh, it's actually called hospitality and catering. But I got the view it's more to do with catering and hospitality in terms of pubs and clubs and restaurants. Yeah. So it, it, so it, was, it was good that there was a GCSE out there. But actually, it's giving a view of hospitality. Mm. That's actually, I accept it, but it's not all what hospitality is about. No. Now, hospitality is a huge area. And this actually comes down to uh, one of the things that has been very interesting over the last um, month or so 
we discussed it uh, in one of the previous podcasts, and that was staffing shortages. So staffing shortages, there was a survey done by, um, I think it was National Hospitality Magazine or something like that, and they surveyed a lot of people across the country and staffing issues were the number one problem of coming out of at the pandemic. And it was really interesting to see, uh, and this was right across the country, in Cumbria, Suffolk, Liverpool, everywhere, there were, the people who were running the business would say their single biggest problem is finding staff. And it's very easy to fall into this thing, oh, I was sort of a Brexit. But actually, the reasons given by a lot of the people who were contributing to this survey were actually, one, people have actually been on furlough for a long time and have started to look for other career paths. That's the first thing. Secondly, people are, because they've been on furlough, because they've seen what's happened to the hospitality industry, there's so many hotels closing and restaurants closing, et cetera, et cetera, they're less secure in their career path than they were before. And the third thing is the whole, what's happened over the last 18 months has actually given or cemented this idea that actually it's an interim job. You know, you're a student, you go, you work in the pub, you work in a restaurant while you're a student, and then you go out and do a real job when you finish. So this whole concept of career and understanding what hospitality is, there's, a, there's actually almost like a, a hole in terms of a, just a gap of, of what it actually means to work in hospitality. And when I started looking at the GCSE, I thought, you know what, that's really, in some respects, pushing it the same way. You're thinking in terms of just being working in a restaurant or working in a, a pub, rather than actually saying, well, actually, there's a hell of a lot to do with hospitality, from event management to, even if you're working in hotels, you'd be looking after groups as well as uh, meetings, as well as just, you know, reception and reservations, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it was really, really interesting sort of, um, sort of study. And I was just thinking that actually coming out of, coming out of the pandemic, the, the attitudes of, people, of the owners and of the industry have to change in terms of bringing people on board and not just saying, well, it's because, you know, people have, you know, are not here anymore. So, yeah, there could be so many reasons and probably boils down to different reasons for each person. I mean, as, as you were speaking, I was going through their possible reasons. I mean, maybe young people aren't likely to be avoiding work where there is contact. I, I don't think so. It, it, so it can't be that. There are fewer tourists, and so therefore, from overseas, maybe there's, you know, it's not got that kind of a more exotic appeal of, you know, uh, catering to foreign holidaymakers. Goodness knows, or it's hard to know, isn't it, really? Um, could be pay, um, although pay is bound to increase with with a, a shortage of supply of, of, of labour. Well, look at so, London. There's a, the restaurants are actually fighting over chefs at the moment. Are they? Right. Yeah. I mean, some of the <laughs> some of the salaries that they're offering just to take people on, just as a bonus to take people on, it's just ridiculous. You wonder that uh, you can't do that across the board. Yeah, so <clears> I mean, yeah. Where and I suppose it's also where where do they start these poor restaurateurs and what have you? They they've been very uncertain about the stocks of, of, of the stocks that they will be keeping because next week all of a sudden they've, they're closed down again. So they're running at kind of, I don't know, 25% capacity. So they wouldn't then be taking um, uh, people on or they would be laying them off very quickly. 
you know, we, we went out for a meal last week, it was, and I was just looking around and, you know, there were about, in a, in a, in a restaurant where there were probably, um, I don't know how, 50 covers, if you were to put it like that, 50 tables, there were probably maximum eight were occupied, you know? I mean, it was really a sad sight. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it. But hopefully that will, you know, as people sort of open up, and you get fewer restrictions, then that will actually yeah. hopefully resolve itself. But I think it just seemed very strange that the the whole industry now has to kind of reinvent itself in terms of allowing people to understand it's an industry worth coming into and not just thinking of it as a, well, it's the weekend job or a part-time job or something that we're doing interim between jobs. I mean, I think you've said it there, Raj, really with reinventing and in the same way that the high street will be reinventing itself. I think that when we come out and because there are so, have been so many casualties and so many changes in direction, that um yeah when it all gets up to speed again i don't think it'll be the same high street and potentially won't be the same sector operating in the same way um well you know in fact out of that also came there was also another statement that was made and it was one of the ceos of a large group made the statement that's thought it's really interesting they were talking about how on the one hand you got staffing issues on the other hand, what other pressures were there on the actual hotels themselves? And one of the pressures that the CEO came up with was that he said that they're, they're struggling to see the uplift in corporate travel that they were hoping to see. So corporate travel, I think we all agree, is a serious problem, not just within the UK, but right across Europe. And what he was saying was that they've become so dependent on leisure that they're struggling to now, their, their biggest issue now is handling things like restaurants, because they're full at the weekends and there's nobody there during the weekdays. So now managing the inventory, managing staffing levels, managing the, the whole thing has become a lot more complex and keeping that bottom line or just make, making sure that you do actually turn a profit has become a bigger task in terms of just what you have to do. I mean, I think that's a matter of time really um, when, for business travel corporates to, to, to get back. You know, we've done a lot on online in the past 15 months, but there's talking of differentiations and, and what have you and how to achieve that kind of competitive advantage. Once, if most of your competitors are, are um, slumbering on, on Zoom calls and thinking that they can clinch business on Zoom, then there is somebody going to come along and get on a plane or a train to get that business because humans are humans and we like that kind of contact. And ultimately, people will follow that lead and will get back on the planes and the trains, I think. I think domestic business travel, that, you know, reports suggest that it is kind of, it's getting back. Certainly in the States, there are very positive noises. Um, so I think, we're, I think we're on the road to recovery but it might take a little while perhaps what do you think about this idea str we're talking last week about how benchmarking should change normally when they're doing the benchmarks they're comparing year on year and you now we have quest we've got our analytics product and we actually told people to stop using it last year because we knew the analytics would end up the very nature of it and the very nature of comparing prices would end up you'd end up actually pushing the price down because everybody's pushing the price down. The last thing you should do 
is actually follow that trend. And I still remember calling the customers and telling them, look, just stick to your blooming business plan. Forget about the analytics. Forget about what other people are doing. Stick to your business plan and stick to what you know you need to achieve. And don't be frightened into reducing your prices. Okay. But SDR came up with something and it was interesting. He, they, they were saying that there's now going to be a new normal, even coming out of um, the pandemic. And I think most people accept that there will be, we've learned things from the pandemic. You know, we've learned how to run our businesses slightly better in a different way, potentially in a better way. Costs have gone down. There's now going to be pressure to keep those costs down. So part of the new normal isn't that we go back to all being the same as before. The businesses themselves will actually have changed. And the approach that um, you take towards business will have changed. Customers' perceptions have changed. So this whole idea of a new normal is, is not seen as a bad thing. It's just seen as the outcome of learning that we've had to go through you know, regarding the pandemic. And so one of the things they came out with was that you know, for, 2020, uh, for 2021, that the, the new normal should start with comparing your figures, not with 2020, but with 2020, with 2019. So when you do your comparisons, pretend that 2020 didn't exist and then start doing your comparisons that way. Um, and as I started to think about that, I uh, started thinking about, well, actually, maybe the new normal has changed even more. One is, do we really need to rely on the standard type of occupancy type reports, revenue report to comsets? Maybe the new normal should be, you know, how, how do you measure the fact that you've done things differently and you continue to do those things properly? Because these reports primarily were pre-pandemic, so they're not going to tell you, have you learned anything? All they're going to do is report the same way as they did in, you know, in 2018 and 2017 and year dot. But you know, with the, if, you come out of it, if you come out and you said you've learned something and you're doing something differently and you believe it's better, there should be a new method of reporting that. Otherwise, what is, you know, how, how do you know you're achieving what you're achieving? Yeah. You, you you say new new method and it was just going through my mind about the new world and and in the old days when people were going over to North America and what have you and they might have taken with them the, the ways in which they behaved back in in Europe but you know there were new environments and new new threats and opportunities and yeah we maybe we just have to rip it up and start again and. Um, you know, I was actually thinking that maybe now we have to be more emphasis on reporting how how good is your marketing actually how good you know how good at you at actually reducing the cost of your check-ins how good at you reducing the cost of actually acquiring the customer and maintaining the customer a greater emphasis on that you know, people are now looking at technologies there's a lot of new technologies that have been introduced I think the UK has all of a sudden, the pandemic has always been like a kick up the backside for a lot of hoteliers because they've, they've had to up their game and bring in the technology that they were resisting before. Now they're introducing it. They should continue using it. But how do you actually encourage that use if you're not measuring it? And I think things if you don't measure things, guess what? They end up not being used eventually. So you end yeah. up going back to the old ways. So, and that could actually become a, a problem for hotels if they then lose sight of what their customers are expecting. That's right. I mean, we've, we've been through prices and, you know, availabilities, obviously, and reviews. I'm trying to think what, what else could be, could be measured 
So effectiveness of marketing. Um, well, I think a couple of the things that might be worth looking at is how effective your communication pre-arrival to get the response from your guests. So you, you better understand how to handle that arrival. At the moment, you could say it's pretty effective because if you say, if, if you have an arrival, person arriving and you send an email saying, do you have any special requirements? They will have something, they will come back to you. Even if it's just, where's the blooming car park? <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll come back with something. And which I think is great, that, that, which is great, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's fantastic. But yeah. if you go back to, if you don't, at the moment, we take it so seriously because it's so important to get the customer to come and not cancel. When, as yeah. you start going back to the old ways in terms of reporting, you'll lose sight of the fact that actually that process still should be managed and cared for. And that care is probably, hopefully, something that will come out of the pandemic with more of, um, you know, that, that kind of humanity and really caring for, uh, in fact, one of the large um, agencies very early on in the pandemic suggested that they would be uh, changing the, the, the process um, through which they cared for their, their clients. And it really was a, um, from the initial inquiry right the way through to bedding them in, um, a, lot, a, lot more, um, a, a lot more detailed and uh, yeah, I th personally, I think it's I think it's vital. Um, you know, I was doing that with with one of our clients um, yesterday, in fact, and uh, I was very keen to exchange. Apart from meeting them, um, you know, in person uh, at distance, um, and I also provided them then with a video show round of of, of the property. Uh, but I was also very keen just to, to be reassured that they had settled in properly. They, they'd come over, they had a 12-hour flight from Japan, and they I just wanted to make sure that they were happy in their environment. Um, and a number of we had a number of exchanges, all, all positive, I hasten to add. But, you know, so important, I think. And I don't think that in the hospitality sector, I don't think we can move away from that at all. And perhaps we will show more attention to that that care um, yeah the, the personal touch is you know you, you can you can have all the technology in the world you still need a personal touch to demonstrate you're a business that's in hospitality otherwise what's the difference yeah. between just uh, just saying yeah. it's the equivalent of yellow box except for instead of <laughs> storing their goods they just go themselves well that's right i mean the otas have been very popular in in the, the, the past um 10 or more 10 to 15 years but yeah, that's a, a booking machine which doesn't always allow for that personal touch at the other end. Um, I suppose it opens up the op the options uh, depending upon the operator as to whether they then want to um, point them to a, a key box or to uh, or greet them with open arms. So I suppose it varies. I think one of the big changes that might come out is actually again this sort of comes back to the vaccines. Obviously, there was this thing recently. I think it was in um, Spain or it might have been Malta, where they were only allowing people in who are fully vaccinated. Obviously, children are not being vaccinated at the moment and may not be vaccinated. So families who had booked holidays suddenly found themselves in a situation where they couldn't go. So we just leave them at home. <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah, that's a, pro that's a problem. That's a point, isn't it? And a problem, but, yeah. 
But one, but one of the things I thought was that uh, that should mean that, and and certainly the, the impression I was getting of you know, when I was listening to um, people talking about this was that people were going to say, okay, we can't take the fam, we can't have the family holiday abroad. Let's have the family holiday in the UK, which they'll have. But one of us, as I start to listen to these people, I think hotel groups are missing a trick. I think they're missing a massive trick, actually. And that is that they should be, if, if somebody goes to, let's say, Cardiff, and they stay in a group hotel there, okay, they've got a Cardiff because Cardiff's got great things. Well, the area's got great things around where it is. They, they want to see the country. They want to have to do something there. Now, if you're a group of hotels... And you've got a hotel also in Northumberland or you've got a hotel down in Cornwall or somewhere else. You should be able to say, right, if that family went to Cardiff, why can't they next year come to Northumberland? Why can't they next year go down to Brighton or down to Devon? So they're not. It's, it's, so there, it's, I think groups will miss this trick that actually they, they should understand that when people and families now are looking, in the same way that they look abroad and they look to where are we going to go abroad? We want to do things. People are now looking at the UK like that, with who live in the UK. I mean, it, it's 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 an, an aspect of a of a of a certain discussion, isn't it? Really, um, because there, I can think of two kind of counter arguments in a way, or at least, uh, I mean, it's what that's what brands of it's what the brand branding is kind of based on, isn't it? Of selling, you know, take me to the Hilton where they sell then Hilton's worldwide. That, but the so Hilton's they, tend to sell the Hilton, don't they? The group sells itself. It tends not to sell sell the locality. And that's the second point, really, I think, which is I might be happy to go to Cardiff for a certain reason, but I don't assume I want to go to another place where you've got that hotel. It's the location I'm interested in and not necessarily your Yeah, the, it, it could work against you. I've no doubt about that. It could work against you. You could end up choosing a different hotel. But, you know, mm. if you think about it, is that really that big a problem? If they, get, if they draw the people into the cavity, then they can do – and hotels can do this. Not many other people can do it. I mean, personally, I, I think that that's where your analytics can work really, really well by by analysing what the reason why they went to that certain location. If they were golf players – that might have been a reason why yeah. they, they attended. We need to know that reason in order to offer them the right products in the future, uh, not just because they went to a certain brand, but what was the feature of that brand, uh, of that particular? You're right. However, yes, we do hold stuff like we can do the survey. We've got all the survey stuff and we, and we can work out quite a lot of stuff from just the nature of the booking, et cetera, et cetera. However, you could actually make, even if you didn't have the analytics that we provide, you can still do some basic analysis. Now, if a family has gone there with their kids and the kids are under the age of 14, for argument's sake, you know it's a family holiday. Mm. You don't need to be told it's a family holiday. If you can't assume it's a family holiday, then you've got to say, well, what do you, what are you, what do you think of your customers and how well do you know your customers? Therefore, if you know a group of people have come in purely for a family holiday, you can make assumptions. You can say, right, okay, if they come for a family holiday, they're here for a week. Or four or five days, because we are talking about people going for four or five days as a minimum. You can say, well, they pro they probably couldn't go abroad because of the issue with children not being vaccinated. So they've chosen locality because they want a holiday. Now we should get we should they should be sort of informed that actually, you know what? Later on, you enjoyed Cardiff. Why not go to Northumberland? Why not go to Cumbria? Why not? You know, it's almost as though you can create a lot of business just by understanding 
what's actually happening and some of the reasons that people are making assumptions about why people stay uh, in country and the assumptions are normally they can't go abroad. Well, why can't they go abroad now should be the question. Yeah, once you're fully vaccinated, if you assume that all adults are vaccinated, still you're going to find lots of people can't go abroad. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the fascinating aspects of, of you know, market research and, and, and marketing, really, isn't it? Just yeah. un- understanding understanding demand and um, satisfying that demand. That leads us to lots of other things. The other thing that's actually obviously is coming out of the vaccine stuff is the um, no need to have to use the QR codes. So now, you know, the, and, and, that's, and that's interesting because part of it is, I think part of it is they don't want to, the, the government doesn't want people to collect people's information. There's no, I'm sure there's hesitancy to pubs and clubs and other groups collecting your information. But hotels, the very nature of the hotel means that you can't, you, you have to have the information anyway. And you can actually use that in a very, I think in a very positive way. If you suddenly use it purely to sell the Hilton, it will backfire, I think. But if you sell it, on the basis of, you know what, here's another great part of the country. And if you want to book, you can always book with us, but you emphasize a great part of the country. I think there's a lot of business there. I think there's a lot of business and I think it will help revive some of these areas in a way that very few other people can do. If you think about it, how would a local tourist organization in say the Southwest be able to say that to people who've been to the North? You wouldn't be able to do it, would you? And vice versa. And I think that the, so, so hospitality, um, and this really is where I talk about the reinventing of it. If the hotel, at the moment, people think of hospitality as pubs and clubs. Pubs and clubs ultimately tend to be almost local things. You know, you don't travel 200 miles to just go to a blooming pub. You don't travel 200 miles really to go to a, a restaurant. But if, there were, if people understood what hospitality really is, that the, actually in many respects, I'd argue the backbone is the hotel industry. Because the hotel industry is designed to get, you know, it's, it's encouraging people to come into your area. It's just, it's the whole thing is about new people coming in and looking after them. Yeah, it, it, it is so almost imponderable, really, um, of what the future will, will hold. Um, I think it was in service department news that I recently saw a report. It might have been another of their publications. But... Um, camper van brands I mean in Australia I think this was but with no reason why it wouldn't, couldn't have spread anywhere you know camper van brands where then I don't know maybe they're offered special rates at certain campsites they certainly will have certain facilities and uh, you know kind of their vans will be all standard or graded to multi multi levels uh, and I thought that was a, a really, you know, a, a great idea because if people are going to feel comfortable in their camper van, um, then let's brand it and know what what's being offered, understand the packages rather than, you know, go to, I'd, I hesitate to say it because I'm all for frequenting local shops, but, you know, let's say the alternative is going to a local supplier and not actually understanding that, you know, how their two and a half fans operate and uh, and you end up with a half fan and uh, broken down on the M1. Yeah. So, um, you know, all those backup facilities, uh, which those brands will offer, sound, right. sound good to me. 
Um, I mean, it, it, it's 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 quite strange because obviously there's lots and lots of things now being um, announced. Lots of questions are being asked. Um, vaccine passports now are this the kind of approach being taken is really interesting. You know, the in the EU they they actually have their own vaccine passport proper, whereas uh, in the UK we're saying the uh, NHS app should be sufficient to actually have your details. Um, and that still needs to be resolved. Obviously, one of the problems is that um, is not being the NHS app is not being accepted in Europe at the moment, which is obviously a problem. Um, in fact, what's really weird is that the piece of paper that you can get from the NHS is being accepted. And you would think that the piece of paper from the NHS is probably easier to sort of duplicate and sort of abuse in some respects than the actual app itself, which is actually secure. So you would think that's that very that interesting. You know, so it is bizarre. It is bizarre, and obviously we don't know what's going to happen in the states and what other um, and what other countries are going to do. I did come across one story regarding Bruce Springsteen, and that was um, he. I don't know if you know, but um, a few years ago he did some Broadway shows, and they were really popular. He did, you know, he produced a, an album, live album with them as well. So we would talk about the song and then sing the song. It's great, really great, and it is great at doing stuff like that. And I love him because he does it. So he's is now. this uh, Raj? Is is this the, is this an early outro? Are you going to sing us out here? <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite. Not quite. Oh, good, good. Um, no, but um, he's now um, he's he's, no, he's uh, doing his shows on Broadway again, and it was really strange because he's only allowing people to attend the shows if they're vaccinated. However, if you are vaccinated with the AstraZeneca vaccine, you're not allowed to attend. Yeah. So you have to have the vaccine that is either Moderna or Pfizer, because that's what the Americans have been sort of pushing very hard. And it just made me think that actually, you know what, it comes down to what do people, what do people actually have trusted? Because the, the AstraZeneca vaccine is trusted even in America, but because it isn't the most commonly used, they know that they don't trust it. And, and the biggest problem in America at the moment is people aren't taking the second jab. They get the first jab, but then the second jab. So that's the problem there. But it seemed very strange that it had got down to not just saying, are you vaccinated? But even what type of vaccination you've had. You would think that if, you know, I've got a vaccination, here's proof that I am vaccinated against coronavirus. Is that not enough? Yeah, it is. <clears throat> it's, it's mind-boggling, isn't it? The, the potential political kind of uh you know the purposes that that could be used for um you know restricting the movement of certain people yeah um, and to be honest this is one of the reasons why i like the government's view of use the nhs app and don't create a separate app don't create a separate document even because you have to have do you the question then is do you have faith in the nhs or not yeah it's not do i have faith in the do i have faith in the nhs and if you have faith in the actual organization that's looking after the nation from a medical perspective then that should be sufficient who cares what vaccine it is if they're saying it's, they're accepting that vaccine and they've given that vaccine that's all that matters well it, it is i mean I, I think it's good always to question things isn't it but not not ad infinitum um yeah. and you know germany certainly have had um, a vaccination book for a long long time um but like you say, I mean, it's easy enough to scribble in there, especially if you're trying to duplicate doctor's writing, because we all know exactly. it's, yeah, it's legendary. Fine. Exactly. <laughs> and and the, you know, the worst thing is, last year, 
um, when COVID sort of arrived in Europe, one of the big things was that in France, you couldn't actually move between cities. They had a lockdown where you needed to get certain paperwork if you wanted to move between cities. I think Italy had the same thing. And people were just downloading the blooming uh, pieces of paper and writing nonsense on them and they were being accepted. Yeah, gosh. I mean, um, hopefully we're a bit wiser to that exactly. now. Which is why I think a lot of this paper-based stuff is a problem. I think that having a second application, giving your details to a third party, that's also going to be a problem. I thought it was quite funny when um, when this issue around the European vaccine passport came up uh, earlier this week, there, there, there was a commentator saying, it's no problem. You know, and it was a European commentator. It's no problem. We have our driving licenses. We have this license, that license. We carry them with us all the time. So what's the problem? We're having a vaccine passport. And I was sitting there. You don't live in the UK. We, you know, <laughs> we don't carry our licenses with us all every day. We don't carry our insurances with us all the time. Yeah, I think I could live with carrying some paperwork, really. But that's because I'm old. I, I was just thinking because... You know, from the announcement yesterday, and I've forgotten the other the other airline, but certainly Ryanair and EasyJet have said that, and, and I think London Transport haven't said this as well, haven't they? That you know, irrespective of what the government says, we still expect people to wear masks. So there's that, and then I'm wondering whether people, how people will feel if they have to present a vaccination certificate at check-in for a hotel because I'd, I'd go f- I'd stay in a hotel if I knew that everybody was as safe as possibly could be but if I if I knew that somebody could walk in off the street and hadn't been vaccinated or in some way offered um, um, presented a, a, a greater threat to my health then I, I might not go for that brand of well, I, think that's, I think that's what the government's trying to do. I think the government is basically saying, look, you know, for instance, the government has said don't wear masks. It hasn't said that. It says that it's a voluntary thing now. So you wear them if you feel you need to wear them. Yeah. You can't force people to wear masks unless, unless going into a shop, they say you must put a mask on. Mm-hmm. They'll still be allowed to do that. You know, mm-hmm. if you're on the underground, I, mean, I would like to think the underground will still demand that people wear masks. Yeah, but there's this other argument that says if it's a late night train and I'm the only one on the train and I decide to take my mask off, have I now broken the law? I would say you haven't. Whereas at the moment you have. Yeah, but people. Are... I, think about, I think it's about setting up rules that actually I mean, businesses will have to set up their own rules. And in terms of the hotels, I mean, there's nothing. Will hotels ask for a vaccine passport? I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't think they will. Mm. I, don't, I, I, maybe. Some might, but I don't think they will. And, I, and the reason I don't think they will is because there'll be two things. One is they're frightened of being the only one. And secondly, we ask for a lot of personal information already when we do check-ins and so on. To go that far down to that sort of level, I think, I think the hotels will become, become un- uncomfortable. However, maybe they'll ask it of people who are visiting the country. I can I can imagine that because you've already got separate rules of people who visit the country anyway. Halfway, yeah, yeah. Legally, there are things that you're meant to be asking if people are actually visiting the country who are actually tourists coming in from abroad. There are certain things you're meant to be asking, okay. But other than that scenario, I don't think people will ask that. If you live in England and you you're traveling around England, I don't mm-hmm. think. Uh, it's, it's a bit. I think I think people will be uncomfortable about asking are you vaccinated or not because the onus is you should, no, we trust you to do the right thing. We trust you to be doing it. 
And and yes, there will be some people who may you could argue are untrustworthy, but the majority of people like that, I'm not too sure. Not majority, but a significant minority. I think that's what one of the things that I've come out of the pan, hopefully come out of the pandemic, realizing that uh, you know, and especially after somebody has had a, a lot to drink. But you know, in the tube the other day, they weren't. There were plenty of people without masks. And I don't see any reason why there shouldn't be somebody on these CCTVs actually naming and shaming and going, you know, well, the fellow with the blue jacket, please put a mask on, you know, and they go, oh, oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. um, I'll be that person. I don't, you know, there'll be just enough people unemployed. I'll do it. I, th- <laughs> I think there's, I think there is this element of, it's very strange. On the one hand, I do think people like to be told what to do because it just makes life easier rather than have to think twice. It just makes life easier. But there's also this other part of when, when, when one thinks that, you know what, I think I can make the right choice about the situation that I'm having to deal with. So, you know, and I think there, there is that, it's that, it's, it's actually quite a fine line. And I think it's really hard. And if you say everybody has to wear a mask all the time, well, when, when do you stop wearing it? When do you stop wearing it? After everyone's had a second booster jab? Do we continue for the next third year, fourth year, fifth yeah. year? When does it actually Yeah, when, 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 the, when it's no longer an issue, when, 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 it no, when it's no longer relevant to, to do what Singapore are trying to do and make it irrelevant for news. Yeah. So if things do, like where did the swine flu thing go? Where did, you know, SARS go? Yeah. Um, is that the same thing? No, it's different, wasn't it? Is that bird flu? Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, SARS is uh, part of the oh, okay. type um, So, yeah. you know, but where did it all go? Well, it became less relevant and less report worthy. But as, 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 long as, as long as it's worth reporting, then I think it's worth policing as well. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting because when we hit September, something that is on... on it, Pre-pandemic, I think most people ignored, unless they were of a certain age group. And even then they wanted to ignore it, but the GPs didn't. And that was the flu jab. What was never said in the advertising of the flu jab, and I don't remember ever being advertised, is always advertised, is always advertised as you know, you're, you're, if you're over a certain age, just remember to have your flu jab. That's all that was ever said. Okay. However, every year, 50,000 people a year would die. That's why we have the flu jab. Wow. To save 50,000 lives a year. Now, are we going to, you know, the, the booster jab, how they sell that is going to be interesting. But at the moment, if you look at the number of people who are dying, thankfully, it's in very, very small numbers. Yeah. So even though there's, I mean, yesterday, there's only nine people, I think, passed away, which is sad mm. in itself. But nine is a very small number. It's a very, very small number. When you think of a population of 70 million and therefore, everyone's going to start focusing, oh, we've got 50,000 or 20,000 infections or 50,000 infections or 100,000 infections. You know, that will always stay in the news because it's that, that's a big number. But if, those, if, if you said, well, we don't really care about the number of people who get infected, what's more important is how many people are actually passing away. Then it becomes, well, is it really worth reporting? Yeah. I mean, if, if the long COVID figures and um, we don't really know yet, do we what the features of long COVID will will be? And uh, if, if I understand it correctly, it covers a multitude of kind of uh, you know ailments, and um, that is something which which I, I I wouldn't want to risk. 
I wouldn't want to go out there and think, oh, okay, then so no one, uh, you know, no one's passing away anymore. Therefore, everything's safe. I'm still staying at home. <laughs> I got, a, I've got a new problem. Manchester City, Manchester City, not a problem anymore. But I've got, a, yeah, is long COVID. You know, uh, I think, it, I think, don't think we should underestimate that one either. I think there's going to be so many things that happen. We could easily scare ourselves into never getting past the front door. There are so many things that can happen. I mean, some of the stuff that's going on in India at the moment regarding, um, you know, the the way the pandemic hit the third wave or the third wave hit there. Sorry, second wave hit there. You've got things happening in Europe that they're struggling to sort of keep on top of. Um, the way I look at it is we have to have faith in our systems to actually say, we got we know we know if something happens we know what we're going to do if something happens we know how we're going to handle it i mean and we're lucky in the uk obviously we've got the nhs and that we can actually you know it's not like we're sitting there asking for new types of insurance policies and all that kind of stuff so it's a, a different sort of thing but living with it means to me it means you've got to start worrying about it yeah it means something slightly different to me it, it, it means um trying to be responsible of course and i know you're not suggesting against that but also covering for those moments when some people might 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 forget their responsibility to to society to consider other people as well and so because otherwise and if anything will come back and bite us it's this one isn't it we've we, we we could, and I would love to throw caution to the wind, but the minute we've done it, we'll regret it. And I think that very, very yeah. careful sort of surfacing from from all. Yeah. The positive thing that yeah, the positive thing that I would say, kind of must I must sound like a government spokesman sometimes, but but the positive thing that I would say is that UK is number one when it comes to monitoring all these variants. Yeah, within the country, we've got number one, we're an easy number one country for that. We are going to have, we're going to see crazy things. I mean, I hope and pray England win tomorrow. <laughs> the whole country is going to be in hugging oh, mode. <laughs> after, after all of these years, of, after these last what, 18 months of being told, stay two metres away. That's right. You know, we're going to be in hugging mode after tomorrow's match, hopefully. Um, and then the final, let's not even talk about the final. <laughs> so, the, yeah, so that sort of mode of uh, elation and that emotional journey, no, no one's going to be able to stop that. And yes, there's always going to be some people going forward. There's always going to, I mean, if you think about it, if you say one in a thousand acts like a fool, just as an example, one in a thousand, population is 70 million. That's a lot of people. <laughs> Still, that's a lot of people. And uh, Murphy's Law, they all get together. <laughs> that makes it even harder, doesn't it? So the, rea the reality is that it's how you identify this stuff. It's how you actually keep on top of it. And that, that's how it comes. I, mean, I wouldn't want to go the way the Irish government has gone recently. Um, I don't know if you know, but the, you may have seen the news. The Irish government did this thing where you can only go to the pub if you're vaccinated. Well, how the hell are the pub owners going to know if you're vaccinated or not? It's a nightmare, isn't it? Trying to police that one, yeah. you know. Yeah, nobody wants to do that. Who wants to police stuff like that? Can you imagine policing that? Yeah. And if you're at a pub and you go, you walk in there with your card that says I'm vaccinated, who's to say you're going to walk out with your card <laughs> saying you're vaccinated? And then you've got to have a think about all of the things that come with that. So it, I think there is a, I think the vaccination process becomes one of trust. Yeah. Mm. It becomes one of trust. 
And it's, it's quite strange today, um, the mayor of London actually announced that, because the uptake of the vaccine in London, which is really weird, yeah. is actually very low compared to other parts of the country. It's really, it's terrible, really, when you think about it. And now that he's put this thing uh, where if you get vaccinated over the next few days or, or few weeks, uh, your name goes into a pot and you might get a ticket to the final. Oh, really? Yeah, which is actually not the right way of getting people to get I, vaccinated. I hook about crook. You need to get vaccinated. Yeah, but you need them to get the second vaccination as well. So what? The second vaccination you're going to take if you come for the second vaccination else. could be Richard's recipe for the Victoria sponge sandwich. Victoria sponge. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm I'm not sure that was a I'm not sure I got it right, but um, yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, well, point taken. How do you? Yeah, but what will the um, what's the attendance set at for for tomorrow? Do you know how many? Sixty, 60 and then it'll be eighty thousand, I guess, or eighty. I, I think they're keeping it at sixty thousand for the final. I don't think. That, yeah, I mean, then I, I mean, I don't. I think if it was a week later, it'd be a hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll allow everybody in there who can get in there, but because it's uh, pre before the nineteenth, they're not going to do that. Yeah, right. Fair enough. Because those three days matter. Whoa. <laughs> I know. Um, oh. Well, that, uh, Oh, you say that, though. I'm actually going to Silverstone, and Silverstone is on the 18th, one day before. 140,000 wow. allowed. Right. And, of course, we've got Wimbledon as well right now, haven't we? Yeah, Wimbledon, yeah, the finals are going yeah. to be packed. Yeah, for full yeah. capacity. So, so you, you're racing, so it, are you? At well, well, my daughter loves her right. F1, and her birthday and it's her birthday present. So, nice. Um, yeah, so we're gonna, we're gonna you know, rather than see it on the uh, at home, we're gonna watch it from. We're gonna watch it, and it's gonna feel like we're watching it on an even smaller screen because you can't see anything. But the reality is, it's no, it, it, it should be. Uh, it, it's the noise, it I think, isn't it? I, I, I've only ever been to one race. You know, was, um... Yeah, no, the, the noise. It's not as loud as the old days because remember the engines right. now are quieter. Okay. Last time I went to Silverstone, I went, I, it's about 20 years ago now, and um, I worked for a company that was sponsoring oh. one of the teams, and I went on one of their test days, and it was great, it was great, but that was because there's hardly anybody there, and you could walk around, and we could even go to the pit lanes, and walk really? the pit lanes, wow. you know, it was, it was yeah. brilliant, can't do that now. Well, that's true as well, of course, you know, it's, uh, yeah, no, if you're, if you're into that, <laughs> into that, excuse me, if you're into that sport, then, then yeah, it, it's 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 really good. Um, so I, I was I went to Nuremberg Rink once, but um, and, and and you could yeah you could walk around and they did go, the cars did go past very fast. <laughs> but um, but it's the whole atmosphere, isn't it? Really, it's like maybe it's a football match. Yeah, people would yeah. say, "Well, I didn't get to see them at goals because I'm right at the other end." You know, some it's the atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite strange though. I went. I've been to a golfing event up in Liverpool when it was when they had one of the. Uh, uh, main championships there and yes we saw the greatest golfers in the world and I don't really I'm not really into golf so basically it became a weekend of chatting and enjoying exactly. company and, and then you know so that's the the, the the benefits aren't they as well and what you take away from it so it's... exactly exactly so just finishing off there was some good news that I've, I mean I think it's all good news in terms of opening up but what I thought was—I think that, by the way, I think that um, our experience today is that I will—you uh, can rest assured I'm going to turn every bad news and uh, good news into bad news. But, you, but try, try your best, Raj. <laughs> I'll try my best. I'll try my best. 
No, the one thing that I was really surprised by, I was honestly surprised by, and that was looking at uh, some of the data coming out of Spain. So Spain, obviously, it's been, you know, it's been open for some time compared to the rest of Europe. And now that the Europeans are traveling more, Brits are traveling more. Uh, one of the things that I thought was amazing was that I think in a special about 10 days, the number of bookings went to 80% of pre-pandemic levels. And that was an announcement of two weeks ago. So obviously announcement that was made two weeks ago, within 10 days, they got to 80% of pre-pandemic levels, which is, which you think about the throughput and the desire for travel and the desire, not just nationally, but internationally to actually holiday and to travel. I think that was a phenomenal. Do you know whether that was um, according to a, an arrival date as such? So are those people booking to stay in October, for example? No, it didn't go down to that level. It just said that there were the number of, it just said that there were 80%. It was actually number of right. bookings coming in. So it was just a sheer number of bookings right. coming in at that time. So yes, it could have been you know, three months from now, et cetera, mm. et cetera. I think generally it shows that there's actually now, when we're, we're talking about opening up in the UK, the reality is this conversation is happening everywhere. Reality is people are thinking along these lines. And I think the... Uh, I think that you know, on the one hand, when we talk about the UK becoming a bit of an experiment, and let's face it, every country over a certain size is going to be looking at the UK on the 19th, the 20th, and for the next blooming three or four weeks mm. afterwards. That's the one thing you can be absolutely guaranteed. Because if you think about uh, what's happened in Scotland, I mean, Scotland is really weird. Prior to uh, the Euros, Scotland was seen as being a country that was in control of coronavirus. Yeah. And now it's seen as Coronaville central yeah. because of what's happened there in the last few in the, in the last week or so. And I don't know how that's happened personally. I, it's so bizarre that the you know the five of the top spots I think or five or the top ten places, five of the highest places with coronavirus are actually in Scotland. It had nothing to do with the football fans, then, did it? Coming to London. Well, they're blaming it on the football fans, but really, can you blame it on the football fans? It's you know. I don't know. I don't. They only came down for one game. Yeah. <laughs> so like they came down and saw they steady for weeks on end or whatever. Travel around the country. They went back. Mm. They came down for a few days and went mm. back. So I think there's more to it. So I think that people are looking at countries. They are looking at what's going on because everybody needs to have some idea of how to come out of the pandemic safely. And I think that's also applying a bit of pressure on the government as well. And maybe the way we open up a bit faster. One could argue, you could argue it's reckless or not. That, you know, if it works well, people look at it more closely and then that becomes the norm. That's how you come out of it. Because business right now, I think if you chose most businesses, they'd just say, why aren't we open? Not when are we open, why aren't we open? And I think that's going to be a really big question that's going to be asked, not just uh, around Europe, but also around the world. And I think when you look at Australia and New Zealand, Australia, I really feel sorry for Australia because there... They've done so much well to sort of almost get into that into almost like a cocoon where they've kept on top of coronavirus and now they're suffering lockdowns. Mm-hmm. And those lockdowns aren't simple lockdowns. They're really quite, you know, tough lockdowns. So how they come out of it is going to be, is it, they're going to be looking at the UK, they're going to be looking at other countries to find out how do we stop the lockdowns? Because the lockdowns, I think the one thing we all agree, lockdowns mean business suffers. That's right. Yeah, I think, yeah, we can only cross our fingers and, and pray really can't we I, I i don't think anyone seems to be in a in a position to give us any um categorical reassure 
reassurance, of course. So, yeah, what can we do? Mm. I think it's all about faith now. It's all about having faith in the systems and everything. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, yeah. good talking to you. Good talking to all the audience out yeah. there. So, so thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. And we'll meet again. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, Raj. It's, it's always a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, look forward to the next time.